0: Well, good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. The Food and Drug Administration earlier today gave approval to a birth control pill to be sold over-the-counter, making it the first such pill to be sold without a prescription in the United States. Now, um, we want to take a look exactly what's at stake here and with us to help us understand the implications of this approval. We've got Dr. Michael New. He's assistant professor of practice at the Bush School of Business at the Catholic University of America and a senior associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, as well as being a Page Comstock Cunningham fellow at Americans United for Life. Michael, thanks for joining us again.
1: Thanks for having me. Much appreciated.
0: So tell me, how has the game changed because of the FDA's approval of this Quote, Birth control pill.
1: Well, this just came out today, so a lot of us haven't really had time to review it. But we do know that you know FDAs are subject to political pressure. I mean, we saw that with the Clinton administration approving uh, RU forty six in two thousand, his mm-hmm. last year in office. It was approved under circumstances only reserved for drugs typically used to treat life saving diseases or life threatening diseases and pregnancy is not life-threatening. The Biden administration FDA has also kind of loosened restrictions on the use of the chemical abortion pill. So I'm afraid this may be another kind of politicized decision they made uh, where the health risks uh, are substantial, but just not really being factored in appropriately.
0: Now, what does this, uh, I guess it's called the Um, O-Pill, what's it contain? What's the composition of it?
1: You know, I think that uh, I really don't have really looked at, uh, you know, the exact kind of chemical combinations okay. uh, that are being used here. I mean, the one thing I would just say is that, uh, you know, access to contraception really is not a policy problem. And I really don't think this is going to succeed in either reducing unintended pregnancies or abortions. I mean, we have a lot of good data on this. I mean, we know even from Guttmacher, half of all women seeking abortions were using some kind of contraceptive the month they obtain the abortion so there's a real failure rate we also know that a very small percentage of women forego contraception because of cost or availability again Gutbacher has done a study i think of like ten thousand sexually active women who weren't using contraception and asked them why and the most common reasons were they want to show trust in a partner Or they're willing to run the risk of getting pregnant. Cost or availability played a role in like ten, twelve percent of those cases. So contraceptives are available, and I don't think you know making this you know over the counter uh, is going to reduce unintended pregnancies, reduce abortion. I do think it could put you know minors at risk. Uh, Again, I think that uh, this is not necessarily a decision consistent with good public health.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you think that uh, this raises concerns about whether younger adolescents, uh, you know, could follow the Pills directions properly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, adolescents are less prone to follow instructions correctly. You know, a woman who's a little bit more older, a little bit more mature, you know, there's obviously concerns about, you know, the dosage uh, of these pills. Uh, I think, obviously, with, you know, very young girls, uh, these could really have a real adverse effect. So, yes, just simply making these things available, you know, over-the-counter. Again, even if minor girls can't buy them directly, you know, they can still access them through, you know, their older sister or older friends. Uh, Again, I think this is a, a public health setback for both women and girls.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is, I mean... Are these things going to be sitting on an open shelf, or will you have to still request them from the pharmacy?
1: Um, I mean, you won't need a prescription. I mean, that's what we know. Yeah. Uh, I think that you may have to request them from a pharmacist, yeah. uh, but it's just a simple matter of you know, making a request. You know, I there are... Here and there, laws in place against, you know, minor girls obtaining certain kinds of contraception. But again, if it's available over the counter, they can still get them through, you know, older friends, relatives, etc., sisters. So, again, you know, it's just going to be made, you know, a lot more available, a lot more accessible. You know, we know minors are not great about following rules and directions when it comes to these things. So, yeah, I think you will see some adverse health
0: impacts. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been a year since uh, Dobbs' decision and the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, from your uh, analysis of the land, uh, the abortion landscape in America, what can you tell us a year later? Uh, are are pro life is the pro life movement in a better position, or are we suffering from uh, fifty different state battles that we have to fight?
1: Well, I think overall we're in a better position. I mean, one thing I've said about Dobbs is it creates both opportunities and challenges for pro-lifers. So, you know, right now, kind of as we speak, you know, in 14 states, you know, pre-born children, you know, are legally protected. That's a big gain for us. You've other states, like Georgia, has a heartbeat law in place, protecting the pre-born children after six weeks gestation. It looks like the governor of Iowa is set to sign a heartbeat law that would also protect pre-born children. After six weeks gestation, so you are seeing you know, more and more states passing strong, uh, protective pro-life laws, and you know, that is a, a real, an important win uh, for pro-lifers. Mm-hmm. You know, that said, uh, there's things that we need to be aware of. You know, chemical abortion, you know, is a real issue for us that so we have to think about. You know, chemical abortion numbers are rising. You know, even before uh, the Dobbs decision. Uh, And there is obviously the other side trying to, you know, circumvent these laws by trying to circulate chemical abortion pills through the mail. That's something we have to stop through both kind of education and policy.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: The other thing we need to be made aware of is, you know, the other side, you know, is more motivated than they used to be. Uh, Essentially, you see turnout numbers amongst people who support legal abortion increasing. Uh, Also, people who support legal abortion are a lot more likely to support candidates that favor legal abortion. We're not getting crossover votes. The way we used to. So uh, again, it's opportunities and challenges. Uh, but one thing I've always said: none of us signed up for the pro-life movement because we thought it was going to be easy. So
0: oh, right, you've right.
1: up to these challenges.
0: Now, the the American people generally do not regard abortion as favorable. It's, it's they don't they don't like uh, abortion in general, uh, but. They also don't like eliminating it. So how do you interpret those mixed signals that we get from the uh, electorate?
1: I mean, sometimes you know the reason why uh, you know we haven't necessarily fared well in some of the ballot propositions is just partly due to money. Um, you know, I'm a political scientist. I've direct democracy. You know, an important factor in the side that wins these direct democracy campaigns is who can spend the most. Yeah, and yeah. abortion tragically is a multi-billion-dollar industry in this country, and the other side typically can go ahead and outspend us, and that is a problem. Uh, also, you know, essentially they're able to frame a lot of the pro-life policies as total abortion bans. And I think while a lot of Americans have a pro-life sentiment, you know, they do favor abortion in some limited circumstances, right, right. including rape. You know, life of the mother, incest, and when it's framed as just a total ban, sometimes you know that that hurts us politically. Mm. So you know, we just need to be kind of savvier, I think, about the messaging. You know, most people don't like what the other side is selling. They don't want late-term abortions. They don't want their taxpayer dollars paying for abortion. Right. Uh, again, we have you know ballot campaigns one coming up in Ohio uh, that I think is certainly worthy of our time and attention. We just have to be strategic in how we kind of fight back and, and oppose these
0: so that 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 phrase "total ban is is kind of like it's a boogeyman phrase, right, yeah,
1: and essentially that's what the other side is is uh, you know is kind of hitting on you know and again, people are kind of just practical in how they view things I mean you know they don't like permissive abortion laws, they don't want their minor daughters you know getting abortion you know without their permission, but you know they are concerned about you know a situation where you know their wife, their daughter, their niece uh is pregnant. And may not be able to get an abortion uh, because or you know or may not be able to get proper health care, I should say uh, because of a pro life law that 's you know badly drafted, and you see a lot of these stories kind of popping up in the media, and you know we need to push back against that. I mean we want pregnant women to get the health care they need, you know that uh, a woman doesn 't have to be you know in danger of dying uh, before you know a doctor uh, can you know take care of her or do mm-hmm. proper medical attention. So, again, I think we need to be careful about messaging, better about messaging. You know, the other side you know, has done a good job, I think, confusing and misleading people. Uh, again, I think as these campaigns go on, we just need to do a better job with that.
0: You mentioned Ohio. Uh, uh, they've got a referendum coming up, I guess it's August 8th. Uh, they're urging us to vote yes on Issue 1 as a means of protecting Ohio's Ohio's preborn. What can you tell me about this? Particular conflict or uh, referendum in Ohio,
1: which well, are sure, on August eighth. You know, there's a referendum that would increase the threshold of amending the state constitution in Ohio uh, through direct democracy to sixty percent. Uh, currently, it's fifty percent. This would raise that threshold to sixty percent, and I think this is you know wise and prudent. I think that when you're talking about amending the constitution, you know yeah. that's very hard to change. Right. Uh, that has a lot of power politically. You know, I think when, you know, even in the U.S., when we have to amend our Constitution, it doesn't require a majority, it requires a supermajority. So I think that when you're talking about amending a state Constitution, it should be on issues where there's a fairly broad consensus. So I don't think that, you know, 51% should necessarily be able to dictate policy, to they're 49%. So increasing the threshold to 60%, you know, I think, you know, is wise, is reasonable, is prudent. You know, I would encourage people in Ohio to vote in favor of this. You know, then, again, later on in November, uh, there's going to be a ballot proposition that would we'll try to put legal abortion in the state constitution. And, again, I think we will have a much easier time winning if the other side has to get 60% as opposed to 50%. percent
0: hmm Are the pro-abortion forces urging a vote of no on Issue 1?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, they realize what's at stake. You know, I think that if you look at what happened in 2022, you know, they did well in a lot of blue and bluish states, like California and Vermont. Mm-hmm. You know, Ohio's a red state. Uh, this is a state that Donald Trump carried twice, and carried not by a huge margin, but comfortably. So if, you know, pro-abortion ballot propositions can, you know, pass in Ohio, you know, that's going to have some negative consequences for pro-lifers. So the stakes are very high here. You know, they realize what's a stake, you know, they'd like to put abortion rights in the Ohio State Constitution, and again, I think we as pro-lifers have to be strategic and, and push back against this.
0: Yeah, yeah. So voting yes on Issue 1 August 8th uh, in Ohio, uh, that will raise the bar for a constitutional amendment. And then in November, there'll be a referendum item on protecting uh, the pre-born. Is that right?
1: Right, that's the referendum on the, you know, amending the state constitution to put, you know, abortion in the Constitution, that's in November. Yeah, so yeah. there's two votes, you know, both important— uh, but the upcoming vote on August 8th, you know, to raise a you know, threshold to amend the Constitution 60%, that's something pro life people, you know, should support.
0: Yeah, very good. Well, Michael, thanks once again for joining us and uh, greatly appreciate your expertise and your handling all these topics for us. Thank you.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. Much appreciated.
0: Michael New is assistant professor of practice at the Bush School of Business at the Catholic University of America. He also serves as an associate scholar at the Charlotte LaZare Institute. As well as being a Page Comstock Cunningham Fellow at Americans United for Life, uh, he monitors uh, these these bills and this uh, ongoing conflict for protection of preborn human life very carefully. I'm Al Cresta. We'll be right back.